You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. And it's a pleasure to be in front of you all on this uh, Sunday, and I pray that God would, uh, would speak to us all. Uh, it was like two and a half weeks ago on a Friday morning, an all-day Friday, where Sports Center became LeBron Center. It was on this day of the week that LeBron James announced that he was going to leave Miami and come back to Cleveland, Ohio. Man, and when you saw, man, and so if you watched Sports Center, if you watched CNN or Fox News, what you saw was that when the people heard this good news to them, there was great elation all over the city of Cleveland, Ohio, that LeBron, the king, King James, is coming back home. He's leaving Miami with the opportunity of playing with one Hall of Famer and two All-Stars to bring back his talents to Akron, Ohio. If, you've, if you watched the video, there were people who were very expressive in the good news that LeBron was coming home. They couldn't hold it in from the good news that this particular person was coming back to play for a small market team called the Cavaliers. They were excited because they knew that that upon LeBron James' return that the Cavs would be revelant Again, that they were then that they would have a chance to win the Eastern Conference. They would have a chance to finally, after so long, to make the playoffs again. That actually they would have a chance to win a championship because LeBron James decided to come back home. One guy said he chose us. He chose us. One guy, I remember, Mark Broussard, said this was a miracle that LeBron would come back home to give the Cavaliers another chance to win a championship. Now, let's talk some. Because it was this same guy that in 2010 walked up on a chair and, 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 and what was called the decision and decided to leave them. It was then that, that, that he decided to take his talents to Miami. It was then he decided to, to leave uh, 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 Cleveland hopeless with no hope of winning a championship for years to come. You have to understand that Cleveland had not won a championship since 1964. 
It's been a mighty long time that Helaman had experienced a championship. And so no wonder when he decided to come back, he brought back hope. As a matter of fact, Cleveland, who was just this year in January worth $515 million, jumped to $1 billion instantly when LeBron James and the company that had suffered over 40% loss since his leaving has all of a sudden bounced back because one man decided to come back home to bring hope and, and hopefully provide the miracle that Cleveland, Ohio has been longing for has made it again. There was elation. No one was standing Bars and restaurants and people downtown was just running around saying the king is coming back home. They were excited. And I, and I have to say that, man, as I watched their expression, I stood convicted. Because I was wondering, when was the last time I had got that excited about Jesus, the king, the true king. When was the last time I was very, I was elated and excited, man, that I was glad that I served the king of kings and the Lord. When was the last time I was excited? Their excitement over a man whom some say served Satan was crazy. Saints, Stonegate, we serve a God who not only is able to save Cleveland, but is able to save a world. By his shed blood and sacrifice, we serve a king who not just won two, but, but he defeated for eternity, sin, death, and Satan. We serve a king. Oh, that, brings, that brings us championships Day after day after day. And I wonder, how is our excitement? Uh, do you get excited about serving this king, this Lord, this God? Do you get excited about the king you serve? Uh, uh, I'm convicted. Because I'm not always excited about the king that I serve. I'm not always excited about the Savior who, 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 who reached down in prison and saved my I'm not always get excited about this king. I stand convicted. How about you? Today we find ourselves in a particular text. Mark chapter 14. Man, I must admit, I'm I'm kind of envious of Mary. I mean, Mary girl, her known position is at the feet of Jesus. Uh, this is part two of my sermon I preached in July 6th. So here's a part two of Mary the worshiper. Now, 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 now sandwiched in today's text, there's, there's a plot to kill Christ and there is a plot to betray him. And sandwiched in between is Mary who decides to worship him. Uh, Mark 
goes out of order to show us how even in the midst of plotting to kill and to arrest Christ, that, 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 that even in the midst of a disciple deciding to betray him for 30 pieces of silver, there is one who still wants to worship him. Even in a chaotic world, where things seem to be going crazy, even in the midst of perverseness and darkness, man, we still have the opportunity to worship Jesus. When I look at this text in Mark 14, a lot of things stand out. So let me read to you just the first three verses and then work our way down. It says in verse 1, and it was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Around this time in Bethany, man, that pattern was an average attendance of 30 to 50,000, but during the feast of unleavened, during this time where, where all the Jews decided to come to Jerusalem and celebrate what God did for Israel in Exodus chapter 12, this, this Passover, when, when they decided each year to come and do this, that, that, that the city would swell to over a half million people. Kind of like when Dallas has, has the Super Bowl. The economy jumped up. Hotels went up in prices. I mean, look, I mean, things changed because over an event that happened. So here you have the event, and, and so so you have these these scribes, you have these leaders who are warning, who are who are desiring to kill, to bring him uh, 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 to death. The Bible says, but because of them fearing that the people might riot. They said no. In Mark, this is the fourth time they have come up with this, uh, this ideal plan, but it's going to happen in this chapter. When you read verse 3, we get to, man, to, what, uh, uh, to the body of our message. It says, and while they were at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure Nord, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, this story uh, is also found uh, in Matthew 26. It's also found in John chapter 12. So I will be referencing every once in a while John chapter 12. Here's the point that I, I want to bring out uh, in verse 3, that 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 that, that this woman, now John gives this woman a name. This, this, this woman's name is Mary. You see this in John chapter 12 that, that Mary, who is the Martha of, uh, of, of, of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, she is the one that's about to give Jesus uh, 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 over a year's salary. Some would say that it was, it was an inheritance that she had received from her family. 
And, and now she's choosing time, knowing that Christ, no, no, no. Some, some say she does not know that Christ is about to die. But either way it is, that she's, uh, she's decided at this time, which we know is two days later, she decides to anoint his head and his feet because he's about to go to the cross and be crucified. So, I, I don't know. Scholars suggest Here's what I do know. Jesus is worth a lot to her. And this act that she's about to do at, in Simon the leper's house is crazy to the disciples and Simon and, uh, and the boys. Look, look what it says. It says that, and while he was at Bethany in the house of, of Simon the leper, as she was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, or pure nard, very, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. If you read John 12, 2 or 3, it says that it was Jesus, his disciples, Lazarus, Martha, and then this text Include Simon the leper. So there's at least 15 people in the house. Now, now, if you understand customs, it was against custom, first of all, for her to be doing this at a man's house. But here again is Martha going against custom and culture because of Christ. Mary is more concerned about Christ than she is culture. She's more concerned about Christ than she is context. She's more concerned about Christ than she is being criticized. Mary is, is, is madly in love with her some Jesus. Amen. So it doesn't even matter what, what the guys think. She loves herself some Jesus. So she's going against culture, and she's doing an extravagant act that caused her to be criticized. Now, being at Stonegate, we've, I, I fall in love with the idea of self-awareness. I know who I am, and I know who I am not. know what I can do, know what I can do. I know my limitations. As a matter of fact, when I try to use big words on stage, I stutter. So I, what? I use small words. I, I just, I, I, I know me some me. I know. Keep it simple, uh, Valentine, and I use it. Don't, don't get... Beyond yourself, uh, don't get too high and mighty. So use small words, know you, and keep it simple. Good, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but I also know that Mary had what we would see, what, what, what was God awareness. John says she's in the house with Lazarus, who was her brother. If you read back in John chapter 11, Lazarus was sick. Verse 14, he was pronounced dead. Verse 39, he had an odor, a stench about him. He's, he had been in the grave for four days. And yet, he's next to her, reclining at a table, about to get his grub on with Jesus. Mary remembers that he was just dead, but now he's alive. I don't know if this warrants her 
to worship. But what if somebody you knew had been dead for four days and then all of a sudden got up again and now he or she is sitting at the table with you reclining, eating some grub. How would you respond to God then? Mary has some God awareness. But all is Mary excited about what God might have done through Lazarus. She's at the house with Simon the leper. Now here's a man that, 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 that would have this physical illness, and some would say, according to ancient Israel history, it was to be a display of sin in one's life. Now, we know the story in Luke where Christ, he heals uh, uh, the, the, there are 10 that come to him with, leper, with leprosy. One comes back, thank God, he not only is he clean, but he's really saved. And, and so some would even suggest this is Simon the leper. And what he would do before he even was healed by Christ was walk around saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. His clothes would, would be torn. His hair would be dis, dis, dysfunctional. He would be outside of the community. And all of a sudden, a man who was once ostracized, a man who was once had, uh, 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 who had leprosy on us, is now all of a sudden sitting at the table, reclining back in community, back in fellowship with God, and now he's reclining with Jesus. And Mary knows this. God awareness. On top of that, she knows that she knows that what well, well, we know according to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, that Mary is in the room with a bunch of untrained and, un, and uneducated men that God would eventually use to start a movement that would last even until today, that God would use some nobody, some lowly and despised fisherman, somebody who did not have a seminary degree, somebody who didn't go to the finest school. Mary knew these guys are not that sharp, but God is still going to use them. Mary has some God awareness. Here it is. Mary is in the house. Mary is in the Mary is in the house around a bunch of miracles. And she worships. When I look across the room, I see some people who was once dead, but now you are alive in Jesus. I see some folk who was once Sinners who, who, who life was marked by sin, but I see how Christ came in, snatched you up, turned you around, and he put you on a save and side. I see it now. As I look around, I see people who are un, un, uneducated, despised, and by some forsaken. And Christ, he stepped into your life. I'm in the room, and I'm looking at a bunch of miracles. Which, when I think about me, causes me to worship Jesus. It causes me to respond in such a way that eventually you may think it's a waste. But you don't know my story. 
You have no idea where I've come from, where God saved me from. You have no idea. So when I think about his goodness and his grace towards me, I have no choice but to respond and worship. This is a story with Mary. And her response is just criticized. See, they, matter of fact, look what the Bible says, uh, 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 verse Verse, verse 4 and 5. It says, but, but there were some, and now we know who, mainly the disciples, who said to themselves indignantly, uh, uh, indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Wasted. For, they, for, for, for this ornament could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. They called her worship a waste. They called her giving all that she had to Christ because he was worthy of it. And, and, and then you'll see that then they come up with this idea that, man, hey, we, that, we, we could have given that money to the poor. But you see in John chapter 12 that Judas had a different story behind this. What he really wanted to do was use the money for his own doings. Had nothing to do with giving it back to the poor. Here's what I want to say with this. The way that you respond to how God is revealing himself to you primarily in salvation, in in in, in you being sanctified, the way that you respond in worship may may be criticized by people around you. Stonegate. I know, I know what culture says. That if you are a Baptist church or have Baptist roots, you sit down and you listen and you read. But the once you get a glimpse of Jesus, and the once he keeps revealing himself to you over and over and over again. How can we sit like he's done nothing for us? When we sing songs that point us to the marvelous person and work of Christ and how our Father loved us, how he, how he is approved of us, how, how he affirms us, how, how, when we sing songs that exclaim and proclaim his excellencies to ourselves, how do we not respond at all? Now, now, now hold on, hold on. I'm not saying you got to get up and jump around and just run around. No, I'm not saying that. No, because our response has to be biblical and informed. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You can't run because you feel like it. You're, you're running, you're shouting, your movements should be informed about how good God has been to you, about how good the gospel is for you. And that informs your, that informs your response to him. And I'm just saying that, that, that every once in a while, every once in a while, when you hear a sermon that, 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 that and God, he convicts God, he enlightens your soul, why not with a hand? 
Why not move a foot, do something? Respond in some kind of way. Because, listen, he deserves it. I promise you this. I promise you this. I promise you that when we die and see him like he really is, you will be sitting there. I promise you that. I promise you. I promise you. You will not be sitting there. I promise you. When you see God in all his glory and all his majesty, I promise you, your response won't be like I see right now. Don't let culture dictate your response to Jesus. Don't let culture, don't let context allow you to suppress your worship, your response. Don't let it do it. He deserves it. Informed, biblical, it shouldn't distract from the word of God. It should, it should be a service to, to those around you. It should help edify those who are, that. again, why? It's informed. It isn't disruptive. Disruptive. It's done in a way where it glorifies God. There's a huge service to those around you, and it does your soul good. I'm just saying, Spongate. Can we get a little response in a once in a while? <laughs> every once in a while. Uh, that's every, I mean, it can be every week, but every once in a while. Can you respond in a way that God has been so good to you? He's worth it. When you think about physically, you were at the bottom of the ocean. You couldn't move at all. You were dead in your sins. You could not respond to God at all. And God in his mercy and grace stepped down out of heaven, jumped into the ocean, and he gave you life to live. Isn't God worthy of worship? Every once in a while. I got to say, God, you're good. I did not deserve this. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to be separated from you and all your goodness. And I, I deserve, but you chose to save me. That I may know you forever. He didn't have to do that. But he did. And what I'm not going to allow, not as funky, but some of the church, is for my worship and response to be suppressed. He didn't save me for you. He saved me for himself. The response is informed. The response is biblical. The response it's not a distraction. Nonetheless, we respond. Why? Look at verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone. 
an imperative. It's a command. They, they, they are constantly scolding her. It's in the imperfect. They are constantly scolding her over and over again. And then when you decide to work, when you decide to do an act towards God that is marvelous in his eyes, he then stands up for you. Leave her alone. Yeah. That's my daughter. Leave her alone. That's my son. Leave her alone. She's worshiping me. You have no say so in this. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, what's interesting in this text is this word beautiful. There are two words for the word good in Greek. One word is a word that is an intrinsic goodness. Having a good heart. People can't see that. But there is is an eternal good inside you that no one sees but you and God. But there's also a good that's visible and expressive and act. (laughs) This is the word that Christ used. He's not more so in this instance concerned about her internal good. But what she's done for me is a good act. Ah, and this word means it's, 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 it's precious in my sight. It's, it's, it's precious to me. It may not be to you, but it is for me. You know, folks say God is not impressed with physical acts. That's a lie. Matthew says, let your works so shine that they may see your good works. And glorify God who is in heaven. He has preordained for you good works. The Bible says. I'm not saying that, man, that, 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 that when we respond to God in such a way that, it's, that, 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 that it, it evokes worship. God is saying, that's a good thing to me. Why? For you always have the poor with you, but... And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will always have me. He's not saying don't deal with those who are impoverished or those who are needy. He just said, hey, I'm leaving soon. They're always here. And when it comes, y'all hear this, and when it comes to even now, loving God and people, we always choose God. First, people second. He's not saying don't look out for those who, who are needy. He's just saying that when I'm impressing upon you now to do something for me, make that a priority now. And in this case, you, you, you will always have people who are needy and they want always. So do for me, he's saying, while I'm here. Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body before, uh, 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 beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Here he is. Who we are some 2,000 years later. 
and we're still speaking about the woman. We're still speaking about Mary and what she did for Christ. Listen to me. Christ never forgets those who do extravagant acts for him and towards him. He's not unfaithful not to reward you for you deciding to display your worship in a plethora of ways towards him. He's faithful to reward you. But for us, what we have to do is first get over ourselves. Say, well, man, okay, I hear you. I understand. So how do I get here? What do I do? First of all, pray. Pray. Look at Paul says in Galatians 1 and 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Listen, it comes a point to where when it comes to worship, when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your obedience to God, are you trying to be approved by man or God? And I think, and, I, and, and I, you, I am nowhere near the smartest man in this building, <laughs> let, let alone Oak Cliff. But I know that we all struggle with, uh, with approval of man. That it's because of what I think someone's going to say about me. If I raise my hands or if I say amen, I'm not going to do it. It's because I'm in Midlothian. You know, man, around here, we, you know, we're kind of educated. We got, we got some money. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't do all that. You know? Like, mm, I'm cool. Chill. That's wrong. If you drive a nice car or a car, period, if you live in any kind of home, if you came here with clothes on, I'm glad you did. <laughs> He's done more than enough for you to respond in gratefulness. What everyone in here deserves, I heard this from Rodney a few months ago, is hell. And if you have anything more than that, you're blessed. Amen. Are you struggling with the approval of man? Proverbs 29 verse 5 says that it is the fear of man that leads us to a trap. We just can't let fear of man any longer ensnare us. He saved you not to fear man, but to have faith in him. Number two, you have to, no, 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 if that's you, if that's, you have to now just repent. So, God, you know what? I've struggled with this. I've, I've let culture and not you. I, I've let context and not you, God, decide how I worship. God, my, because I know who you are, because I know what you've done, I'm informed enough to, to respond with goodness and grace. Again, it's an informed response. But also, I, I have to admit, I have to admit it. And man, I have to, I have to ask, God, here it is, 
will you please restore to me the joy of not my salvation, but your salvation. See, a lot of us, we've lost joy in our salvation. Sin, unconfessed sin, bitterness, hard heart, but whatever it is, we've lost, we, we've lost that, that affection. We've lost, we've lost that joy. David was not too proud to beg. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation towards me. When was the last time you asked God? I just kind of lost it. Now, I know some mean Christians. Of course, not in Milwaukee, you know, but I, I just know some mean Christians. That there is no joy in you knowing what Christ has done for you. Ask for it. Ask. Ask. God, I'm missing this joy. That I'm saved. Just ask. God, will you please give me joy knowing that I'm saved, that I'm going to spend eternity with you forever? Will you please give me joy? That when I see you, even now the, the, the Bible says we love him. Though we have not seen him, and though we have we do not see him now, we believe in him. And, and the Bible says it's filled with joy and inexpressible glory. Are you a joyous Christian? God, let's ask him. And then just yield to the work of his spirit and his word. Do a word search. See how many times people, God saying his word, rejoice. Be glad, be happy, blessed. I mean, I mean, just do a word search and say, hold up, God, if, if this is common in your Bible, why is it not common in my life? It is he in you that, that gives you the work in the world for his good pleasure. Joy is a product of the spirit of God. It's a fruit of the spirit that God. I stand here having one more visit. And let me just celebrate the good now. Because two years ago, when I came to Stonegate, I'm like, man, do they know God is alive? Can we do anything different? I mean, can we, can we, can we say something? Can we do anything? And man, let me man, listen, celebrate the work of God at Stonegate over the past two years. I sat up, man. I sat there on last Sunday and I looked around, both services, hands were lifted up. I said, Boy, I said, go Stonegate, go. I mean, y'all was doing your thing. I mean, go Stonegate, do your thing. Let God use you. But we can do more because He is more, He is bigger. God envisions a church where hearts are yielded. First, hands are raised and submission, knees are bent because he is the great king of kings. He is the great lord of He is that. And God is on Sunday, really on Mondays through Saturday in your private time looking for this to be you. Not just on a Sunday, 
but your response all week long to a good and gracious God. I would lift up my heart pure in desiring him, that my hands would be raised in adoration and submission, that I would be willing to be used by God, that I would do any, that I would perform any act of worship and obedience that he leads me to do because he's God. And he doesn't need to do anything else for me to worship who he is. Father, we thank you. And we love you so much. God, we just need you in this place. And, I, and, I, and God, I know, God, that, that the idea for those of us who are in this house, that we're in this place and we don't know Christ in the pardon of our sins, the idea of worship seems far beyond uh, reach. So if that's you in this house, if, 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 that's you at this, if that's you in this place now, And you sense the Spirit of God pulling you, pulling you away from the world and pulling you towards God the Father through Christ. That even now he, he, he wants and desires to forgive you of all of your sins, to bring you back into relationship with him for eternity. He's saying, will you please believe? Will you please accept my conviction, repent and admit that you are a sinner in need of grace and salvation. Then turn to God and he will accept you as his own uh, father. You will be his daughter and his son forever. You will then receive the spirit of God that will give you the ability to live for him and to long for him. To do what he desires for you to do. If you're saved, the idea of responding to God in his goodness and grace sounds ridiculous. Just think about what you will be doing in his presence in heaven. And why not now get plenty of rehearsal, get plenty of practice? Why not now just, man, just, just, just ask that if, if it's the fear of man, just in faith, God, please, please. Search my heart. Help me not to live for the approval of man any longer. Help me not to live in the fear of man any longer. But help me to respond to your grace and mercy towards me. That you saved me. That I might worship. That I might glorify you. And Father, I know that we're not called all day long to respond. God, if the truth be told, you do not satisfy us all day. So God, we, we, we just repent of that. And Father God, just the view and the vision that you have for Stonegate is that your sons and daughters will respond in an informed way towards you. Not for people, not for man, not for music, but because you are who you are. Father, we thank you, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.